Our Heavenly Father, we have prayed to you. We have sung songs to you. And now we read your word and we ask you to help us, Lord, to understand your word, to receive your word, and to act upon your words. We need your help to do that. For without you, we can do nothing. So help us tonight, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Can we put the slide up? Or is it up? Okay. This chapter is, has one main subject. It's all about kindness. The kindness of David, the kindness of God. When I looked over this passage this week, I have to say that it really spoke to me personally. I asked myself, I asked God, Lord, am I the kind of person as far as kindness is concerned, that I'm supposed to be. Help me to be a kinder man. Let's take a look at the outline, first of all, in the slide. We see in the first part of verse 1, David inquires about Saul's descendants. Now, bear in mind that for much of his life, Saul was David's enemy. David was a subject of Saul in his kingdom, but... Saul hated David, at least for the most part of his life he did. And yet David is now going to be kind to Saul and his descendants. So David inquires about Saul's descendants in the first part of verse 1. And then you have his reason in the latter part of verse 1. It's to keep the promise he made to Saul's son Jonathan years before this. And then thirdly, we see a servant of Saul named Ziba, or Ziba, who summoned to answer David's inquiry, are there any descendants of Saul? Then David asked Ziba a question in verse 3. And in verse 4, Ziba identifies Jonathan's son Mephibosheth where he was living. And then finally, David sends for Mephibosheth and fulfills his promise to Jonathan, which he made years before. Let's look at the first three verses first. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? If you haven't already seen, I want to point out two phrases to you that we just read. First of all, David says that I may show kindness, show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And then he says in verse 3, to whom I may show the kindness of God. I want to submit to you that these are one and the same thing. That when we show kindness to someone, we are showing the kindness of God. Because God is kind. You know, God is love and love is kind. If you go back into a few chapters, years before Jonathan died, David and Jonathan made a covenant with each other. What was that covenant? We're going to get to that later in the chapter, but first we need to review the relationship that David had with Saul and how different it was 
in his relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son. This is actually an understatement. David had an entirely different relationship with Jonathan than he did with Jonathan's father, King Saul. When David slew Goliath, Saul was impressed with him, and he loved him. At least for a while he did. Now David, being the man that God wanted him to be, even though Saul hated, ended up hating David, David served Saul, and he served him honestly. Uh, turn, if you would, in your Bible, flip back a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Chapter 17, and put in it verse 57. Are we there? Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Can you imagine that? Holding the hand, the head of Goliath in his hand. And Saul, in verse 58, Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And then look at uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house any more. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And then look at verse 5. So David went out whenever Saul sent, wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So you don't have servants standing around in the palace whispering about what a bad choice David is. They realize what a godly man he was, what a strong man he was, uh, what a warrior he was, what a brave man he was, but mostly what a godly man he was. So everybody believed that Saul had made the right choice in putting David over his army. Now verse 6, oh no, excuse me, uh, verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And now verse 6. And now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then look at verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. I have an idea it was not a kind eye, it was an evil eye. Saul's love for David changed when he began to look at him that way. It turned into jealousy, to envy, and then to hatred. We see, as you read the history, if you go back into the section in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, you'll see that Saul tried to kill David on several occasions. 
He hunted David for years. David had to flee from his presence. He literally had to go into hiding, not in Israel, but in the land of the Philistines. Now, while Saul hated David, his son Jonathan loved him. David and Jonathan loved each other as if they were brothers. And they made promises to each other, not only about themselves, but about their descendants. And now we come to that promise. And you can find this. I won't ask you to turn there, but in chapter 20, I guess it's pretty close. Chapter 20, verse 42, if you'd flip over there. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, let me tell you what happened before this promise was made. Saul had invited David before he began to hate him, to always eat at his table as his man in charge of the army. Well, more and more, David would not go to the table to eat, and it began to anger Saul a great deal. And one day he he missed for actually two days in a row, and Saul was very angry. And he was so angry that Jonathan feared for David's life, and he told David to go and hide in the field. And he said, if I shoot an arrow and it goes a certain distance, you'll know that Saul wants to come after your life. And he did that, and so he literally saved David's life from Saul's wrath. And so then after he did that, he made the statement in verse 42, and I'll read it again. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, in other words, flee, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So we see Jonathan and David making a covenant that they said was going to last all of their lives into the days of their descendants. Now, this promise made to Jonathan, Jonathan and between Jonathan and David asked, This is why David asked, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He's thinking back to that covenant he made with Jonathan before Jonathan died. By this time, Saul and Jonathan are both dead. And now he's asking, now he's king of all Israel. And if you remember, over 340,000 men came to Jerusalem to crown David king. So he was unanimously the king. He had no detractors. People loved him, and he was the king of all Israel. And now he is summoning somebody and asking, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, where did this come from, that they would make promises like this to each other about their relatives that would come after them? When you make a promise to somebody else, do you make a promise about them and their relatives? It's a little unusual, but it surely wasn't unusual in those days. Now, where it came from, the answer is really short because it came from God. You see, God cares about our descendants. He cared about Jonathan's descendants. He cared about David's descendants. He cared about Saul's descendants. Even though he was a rascal, the rascal that he was, he still cared about his descendants. God's will is to show grace and kindness to us and to our descendants. And it's important for you and me as Christian men and women to care about those who come after us. I, want to, I don't want you to turn to this. It's going to take too much time. But I'm going to read you a few verses about God caring about our descendants. 
First of all, in Genesis 9, verses 8 and 9, it says, God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. He said, I'm going to put a rainbow in the cloud, and every time you see that rainbow, you're going to know that I will never again destroy the earth with water again. I'll never do it again. And, you, and this is for your descendants too. And now even to this day, after it rains, and by the way, we got a lot of rain recently, and there was a rainbow in the sky. And I thought about this promise that God made to Noah because he not only made it to Noah, he made it to you and me. We can mark this down and take it to the bank that when we see a rainbow in the sky, it says that God is not going to destroy this earth again with water. And then in Genesis 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then later in Genesis 15, verse 5, he brought Abram outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And then the prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 20, verse 5, Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. When God swears something and then declares it with an oath, an oath, you can take it to the bank. Now, this is also a New Testament promise. In Acts 2, Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So you can say this to anyone you want to, that the Holy Spirit is not only to us, it is to any those who follow us for however many generations may come after us. I personally desire, hope that not too many come after us. Unless it's God's will, of course. So God wants to save our children as much as he wants to save us. You can look at your child and you can know that God loves him as much as he loves you. He wants to save him just as much as he wants to save you. God wants to bless our children with the Holy Spirit just as much as he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. You can mark that down. In other words, he wants to bless us with all the blessings that are in Christ Jesus. Moses said it this way in Deuteronomy 29. He said, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And then Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14, he said, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So God loves our descendants, and so should we. Now let's think about the situation the day that David made this inquiry to bless Jonathan's son. What was the situation? Well, David was the undisputed king of all Israel now. But he didn't do something that kings before him did. Instead of dealing out vengeance on the descendants of Saul, he extends his hand of kindness. This was definitely not what most kings did in those days. 
if you think about it, the history is filled, the Bible is filled with kings who killed the descendants of people that were near them who possibly could take the throne away from them. One of my commentators said about this situation, David's question showed a great love. As a matter of fact, he showed the love of God. How do we know this? Because Saul had made himself an enemy of David. And it was customary in those days for the king of a new dynasty to completely massacre everyone connected with the prior dynasty. There are many examples of kings killing the descendants of any rival to their throne. You know, I think there's the worst example of these kind of massacres is really familiar to everybody who reads the Bible. Jeremiah the prophet foretold of this massacre in his in the book of Jeremiah. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 2, so please turn there. Matthew chapter 2. In my opinion, the worst massacre of somebody who might be able to take the throne away from a king. Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in those days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when you read those words, it's a blessing to you as a Christian. But when Herod heard these words, he didn't like them too much because Herod was king. He didn't want to hear about anybody else being king of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then later in this chapter, look at chapter 2, verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son." And then verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now, I don't know if you read the obituary of the sentinel. Any of you do that? Anybody read the the obituary today? Did you see the death of the little seven-month-year-old boy? He was a twin, had his picture, he was a beautiful little baby boy. And you imagine a king being so hateful that he would give orders to kill all the children in Bethlehem from two years old and under. And that's what happened this day. I can't even imagine. I have two great-grandsons who are about seven months old, Titus and Benji. I cannot imagine killing those two little boys. 
Verse 17 said, This was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now David goes against this principle of revenge and against the principle of self-preservation and asks, What can I do for the descendants of his enemy Saul? Now, Saul wasn't David's enemy, but David was Saul's enemy. And yet David wants to do kindness to the descendants of Saul. This is truly the love of God, is it not? This is the love of God and the kindness of God. How do we know this? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. As a matter of fact, turn there. I know you know this, but it will be good for you to look at it again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43. You're in chapter 2. You should get there pretty quick. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I ask you this question. When David said, where are the descendants of Saul that I may show kindness to them? And then he said that I may show the kindness of God. Was David at that moment the son of his father in heaven? As David indicated, as Jesus indicated here, I think so. Now, David had the kind of heart that Jesus spoke about. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David not only wanted to keep his promise to Jonathan because he loved Jonathan, he wanted to keep his promise to God because he loved God. He knew that when he promised something to anybody else, it was just like making a promise to God. You know, as I look at my brothers and sisters in our congregation tonight, there's absolutely nothing that is keeping you and me from having this kind of heart. Nothing. God wants us to have this kind of heart. He knows that this world in which we live needs people with this kind of heart. Our nation needs people with this kind of heart. Our neighbors need it. Our families need it. And I, I want to challenge you with something. I challenge myself about this this week, but I challenge you the same way. Ask God to make any changes necessary in you so that you can have this kind of heart that Jesus spoke about. Perhaps some of you remember a song that we used to sing years ago. I know Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa used to sing this song, and many other Calvaries and many other churches throughout the country sang this song. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O God. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. We used to sing that over and over. And maybe you sang it underneath your breath with me as I read the words. And you could be glad I didn't try to sing it. My voice went away a few years ago. Now let's look at the rest of this chapter. And Ziba said to the king, we're now in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, 
said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. I want you to think for just a moment. This is the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, who hated David. Saul who hated David. And now Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, is being summoned to King David, who Saul hated with all of his heart. Can you imagine the trepidation this man must have felt when he was summoned to the king of Israel, King David, not knowing what in the world was going to happen to him? Now when, verse 6, now when Phibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. Can you imagine naming your son Mephibosheth? You think this little boy had to fight a lot? I think so. And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. I wonder why David said that. Don't you imagine he saw that Mephibosheth was trembling as he was on his face before the king? He said, for I will surely show you kindness. I'm at verse 7. For Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now think about this for a moment. Saul was a wealthy man. He owned a lot of property. And he had, I'm sure he had uh, quite a dowry quite an inheritance to give. But yet, in the years that followed, uh, people probably wondered, what happened to all of Saul's stuff? Well, David says, Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you all of Saul's stuff. I'm going to give you all the lands that he has. I'm going to give you everything in his house. I'm going to restore to you all of the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself, verse 8, and said, What is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. David wanted witnesses of what he was giving to Mephibosheth. So he says to Ziba, I've given him all that belonged to Saul and and to all of his house. You, therefore, your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your son, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 25 servants, or 20 servants. Now that's 35 people to work the fields for Mephibosheth. And, and so what is uh, Ziba's reply? He said to the king in verse 11, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth said to the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mecha. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in his feet. Now, how did this man get to be lame in his feet? Well, one day, uh, Saul and Jonathan died. And when the nurse who was keeping Mephibosheth 
who was an infant at the time, heard that Saul and Jonathan had died, she was afraid, and so she grabbed up that little baby and ran. And she fell, and she wounded this little child's feet, and he was crippled all the days of his life. Now, let's notice, we just read it, but let's notice that David restored Saul's land and possession to Saul's son Mephibosheth and to his grandson. These men literally lived like kings for a long period of their lives. So God was kind to David, and David was kind to all of his descendants, just like he's kind to our descendants, and just like we need to be kind to other people. That's what I hope and pray we take away from here tonight, that, that we ask God to help us to have the kind of kindness that David showed in his life. I want to share with you as I close this lesson tonight a true story that happened years ago to a woman who was really very much a recluse. She didn't say very much. She was lived a very private life. And this is an account of how a kindness by another woman revolutionized her life and made her a different person. Let me read it to you. Over the course of a summer, we entertained 2,000 guests in our hotel called the Logan in Ocean City, New Jersey. The location is definitely part of the draw. It's a block away from the boardwalk. My husband Larry and I had vacationed there ourselves 38 years ago. We enjoyed it so much that Larry would always say to the owners, if you ever decide to sell this place, let me know. I thought he was kidding. 28 year, until 28 years ago, when we became the new owners of the Turn of the Century Hotel, there I committed my life to Jesus Christ. From that point, our desire was to use the Logan to glorify God. On a particular summer day, I was having a difficult time at the reception desk. Two ladies stood before me checking in. One did all the talking. The other never made eye contact or spoke a word. I wonder what's wrong with her, I asked myself, trying not to stare. The two had booked a room with us for several days, so I was going to be seeing them regularly. How should I handle this? I could ignore the silent woman and treat her like she was treating me, or I could treat her like I did all the other guests. I opted for the second choice. So as the days passed and she would come down the stairs for breakfast, I would say, Hi, Nancy. How are you this morning? Did you sleep well? You must have. You look pretty bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning, I would say as she came down the steps into the lobby. Inwardly, I chuckled at how funny I must have sounded. After a day or two, I heard her chuckle too, but she never spoke. The day came when the two were checking out, and it seemed to have come too quickly. And I uttered a private prayer to God. I said, Lord, is there a gift I can give Nancy that would help her to know how much you love her? I prayed. Searching my room, I ran to my room quickly as they were checking out, and I found a little plaque, which I quickly wrapped in tissue paper. Frantically, I ran through the lobby, out the door, and down the front steps. I was relieved to see that Nancy and her friend were still in the loading zone, packing the car. Nancy, here's a little gift for you, I said breathlessly. Then, without thinking, I wrapped my arms around her and gave her a big hug in the middle of 6th Street. She remained stiff and silent. I waved goodbye as I climbed up the steps. What did I do? 
a prayer of intercession pressed on my heart. Lord, you know what is wrong with Nancy. Why doesn't she talk? Why was she so unresponsive when I tried to hug her? She reminds me of a puppy that's hurting. I'll probably never see her again, but you will, Lord. Please wrap her in your arms of love and heal her hurts. I busied myself with hotel matters. My thoughts concerning Nancy were prayerful, but shrouded in mystery. A few months passed, and we moved back to our home in Maryland for the, Maryland for the winter. One day, the mailman left a lot of mail, most of it forwarded to us from Ocean City, New Jersey. One letter was from someone whose name I didn't recognize until I began reading. Dear Joyce, you may not remember me. I'm the lady who didn't talk. I really did love my time at the Logan Hotel last summer. You had no way of knowing, but you gave me a very special gift when I left, the gift of your hug. It was the first time in my life that anyone has ever hugged me in my whole life. I know now that God really does love me, and I need to get close to him again. Thanks for letting him love me through you. I will never forget. Love, Nancy. I never dreamed that God would take such a small effort on my part to bring about such big results. All along, I thought that the gift was the one that I wrapped in the tissue paper, but in reality, it was the hug. I know in my heart that it was really God who wrapped Nancy in his love that day. He just used my arms. More than 20 years later, Nancy and I remain good friends. We continue to send each other stationery and gifts with hugs on them. I never cease to be amazed when I pick up the phone and hear Nancy's cheerful voice on the other end. She still loves to tell others about the healing that God's love brought about in her life. One of her favorite pastimes is to listen to praise and worship tapes, something I believe God has used as a powerful tool to restore her feelings of self-worth and confidence. After Nancy moved to Florida, Florida more than 15 years ago, she studied to become a medical technician. In 1998, she graduated from Bible school. Nancy continues to enjoy God's hugs more than ever and gives them out as well as much as she gets. When I attended a woman's conference in Florida, Nancy surprised me by meeting me at the airport. Her warm hug was worth a 15-year wait. I wish I had a camera on Sunday morning when I accompanied her to church. I watched in amazement as Nancy, in her role as church greeter, hugged everyone who came through the door. To this day, Nancy's life reflects what I read in Jeremiah 31.12, which says, And their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. I was privileged to have sprinkled those first drops of God's love into her life with a simple hug. I submit to you that this hug by this woman, Joyce, to Nancy was an act of great kindness, because it was certainly received that way. So I ask myself and I ask you, brothers and sisters, let us be kind to one another. Let us be kind to God's people. Let us be kind to our children. Let us be kind to our neighbors. Let us be kind in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this lesson of David reaching out to the descendants of Saul, who was his enemy for most of his life. What a lesson for us to learn and remember. We pray that you would help us, O God, to, as Jesus taught us, 
to love our enemies and to be kind to those, even those who despitefully use us and say all manner of evil against us falsely. Help us to love them for your sake, just as you loved us when we were yet sinners. So, Father, help us all to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship God together.